You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Good morning. Sorry, guys, I got lost in my own thoughts there for a second. It's good to see you all this morning. Would you throw up? Thank you very much. Good stuff. Thank you, Josiah. I want to talk to you this morning about what it feels like to be a human being. Is there anybody here who's not a human? Good. Okay, if you are answering yes to that, we will be praying for people in the courtyard after church today, praying for people who are not human. I want to look at the story of somebody this morning who was a very human guy and yet who is a hero of faith. He will be known to you if you read your Bible at all as a guy called Abraham. Abraham is probably one of the most outstanding characters of the Bible. He's the one perhaps most often referenced as the founder of both the Jewish and uh, actually as the root of both the Muslim faith, the Christian faith and the Jewish faith. Uh, He's one of the, uh, the founding fathers as it were of the Christian faith. He is the one about whom the story of Genesis really circles all around the book of Genesis circles all around him. And I want to look this morning at a short piece, a short event that happened in his life. Uh, To many of you who will know the story of Abraham, let me give you a simple background. Abraham was living in one place, which was near uh, modern day Iraq. God said, pack up Iraq and head over to where Israel is, where I'm just using today's geography. And he goes and he settles in this other land. And God says to him, I'll tell you what I'm going to do with you, Abraham. I'm going to make you a father of a great nation and I'm going to give your descendants an incredible amount of land and you will be more numerous than the stars in the sky and the Lord and Abraham said that sounds fantastic to me I'm going to pack up I'm going to go and as we all know in life every time we obey the Lord and we hear his voice everything just goes so smoothly afterwards doesn't it Every time we try to honor God with our lives, everything just goes so easy. Life becomes the bed of roses that we all hoped for. Uh -uh. Anyway, Abraham ends up over in this place called Canaan. And when he's in Canaan, he's there and he has his nephew with him. His nephew is a guy called Lot. And he causes him a lot of trouble. He wasn't unnamed. But he's there with, with Lot. And while they're there... Abraham finds himself stuck in the middle of a battle, and that's where I want to pick up the story today, between some of the local kings and some of the foreign kings that were foreign to this area. Now, when we say kings, they're not like kings who ruled great empires. These are more like local fiefdoms. They were more like local warlords. That's what they were, rather than kings in the classical sense that we would understand kings in the modern context. So these guys were like local warlords, yet they were referred to as kings, and there was a bunch of them. And Abraham finds himself in a battle. He takes sides with one bunch of guys, and they, they're fighting another bunch of guys. And on one side, there's four kings, and on the other side, there's five kings. And Abraham joins this battle because the kings from the foreign places come and take his nephew and all that belongs to his nephew and takes him away. Does that make sense? That's why Abraham ends up in this fight. But as a result of being in this fight, Abraham meets a couple of challenges that I think you meet and that I think I meet. In actual fact, I know I meet them and I'm quite certain that you meet them too. And I want to look at what God's word has to say about those challenges this morning. This morning's a title is called Richer or Poorer. Anybody who knows the story of Abraham knows that he was a very, very rich man and that God had made him a very, very rich man. And in his context, a context in which people barely eked out a living, he was rich beyond his wildest dreams. But I'm going to be looking at a little challenge to that 
here in Genesis chapter 14. I'm going to look at verses 70, 14, 17 to 15, 6, but I will be abridging. I'm not looking at all the verses. I'm looking at some of the verses in it, but I think we'll be able to follow the story easily enough. May God bless us as we read his word this morning and change our hearts, our minds, and our lives in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, let's begin the story at the end of the battle. Because where Abraham's battle ends, his external battle ends, is where his internal battle begins. It says this, after Abraham returned from defeating Kedorlamur, the case, you, you can't say Kedorlamur, you, can, you have to say it with the Middle Eastern, Kedorlamur. Anyway, after he defeated the king's Kedorlamur and the king's allied with him, the king of Sodom, the local city, came out to meet Abraham. So he's coming back after this battle. They've won an incredible victory. They've won against the odds. And they've defeated their enemies. Abraham himself was the guy who was the key guy in all of this. He led his own troops, well-trained men, against the armies of these other men. Specifically this guy called Kedorlamur, who was the leader of them. And as he comes back, he meets the king of Sodom, one of the guys that he was fighting with, if you know what I'm saying, one of his allies. It says this. And then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram. Know what his name is? Abram, not Abraham. It hasn't been changed yet. God would later change his name to Abram. His name Abram means exalted father. The name Abraham means father of many nations. Anyway, this king comes out to meet him. He's the king of Salem. And he's a kind of a mysterious character. Um, he's referred to in the book of Hebrews, and he's also referred to in the book of Psalms. Now, some people think that he was actually a physical king who came out to meet Abraham. Some people believe he wasn't actually a physical king, but that it was an appearance of Jesus, what's called a Christophany in the Old Testament. It doesn't matter for this particular story whether either of those is the case. For my money, I think he was probably a real king, probably the genuine guy. He was probably from Jerusalem, given that Salem was, this, was, was the second. He was described as being the king of Salem, and the history of the name Jerusalem is a very old name. But he was the priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram. Now, remember, he's just come back from this huge battle. He's after defeating his enemies, and he's coming back with a load of what they would call spoil or loot. He's after taking a lot of booty is another word they use for it. And it says this, blessed be Abram by God most high, the creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. So these two kings come out to meet him, and the first one, the, the, the second one who comes to meet him says, Blessed be Abraham by God most high. He comes out and he blesses Abraham for what he's done. He comes out and he lifts up his hand and he blesses him. And he says, Blessed you, for God has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he's returning after winning this battle, and he's got all this stuff with him. He's after rescuing all of the, all of the prisoners, all the hostages. He's after getting all of the loot and bringing it all back with him. And the next line is very telling because it says very simply, then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Abraham arrives back with all of this stuff. Melchizedek blesses him. Blessed be Abraham by God most high. And Abraham says, yeah, here's 10% of everything. 
And here is the first place in the Bible that we read about what is commonly known as a tithe, or the 10% given by people of God to honor God for what he has given them in the first place. It's a very clear connection between what Abraham has just done, what God has done for Abraham in delivering his enemies into his hands, and Abraham saying, well, to honor God, I'm going to give him a 10, 10% of what I've just rescued, what I've just gotten from this. No, 10% is not a lot. Well, it's not a lot if it's a euro you're thinking about, then it's 10 cents. But imagine Abraham's just come back with a million euros worth of stuff. He's come back with a million euros worth of, of, of loot. He's coming back with all of this stuff that he's after, all the spoil he's after winning in battle. A million euros. And he says, here, take a hundred grand, Melchizedek. Mm. See, 10% doesn't feel like much when you don't have much. But when you have a lot, 10% becomes a lot more. And I love this idea that we are sometimes challenged, and we read it in the Bible, to give 10% of our income to God. Now, if you're a visitor here this morning and you're thinking, aha, I have them, no, they're only after my money. I'm not after your money. Amen? I'm not interested in your money. Do what you like with your money. If you want to give, you can give. If you don't want to give, don't give. As Yoda in Star Wars says, there is give or not give. There is no try. Just give or don't give. That's your call. You decide yourself. Sorry about my bad Yoda impression. I went to church by it. It was like Star Wars. It was brilliant. But here Abraham says, here is 10% of all that I've just rescued. And we go, oh, 10%. Now all of us know, those of us who give regularly, and I am one of the people who give regularly, you give, a lot of the people here give regularly, we know how joyous it is to give away 10% of what we just earned, isn't it? Amen. We dance to the front and up to the offering boxes. I remember being in a church in America, oh, oh Michael's telling America stories, being in a church in America, and the pastor stood up and he had the hair. I don't have the hair. I once had the hair. I don't have the hair. He had the hair and he had the suit. And he said, and now we're going to bring up the tithe. Will the men of the church come forward with it? The women couldn't give any tithe. I know. But the men of the church, and they all began to dance up with their envelopes in their hands. They sprang out. They ran up the, the island. They put their offering box, their envelopes into the offering box. But I noticed this. You see, when you're running up, the pastor can see your face. And they're all running up going, hallelujah. But I saw them as they came back down because I was at the end of the room like, hallelujah. It can be a painful thing to give because we can so often feel that we have a greater priority or a greater need. But you know, no matter what we give to God, no matter what we give, you can give 90% of your income. And if anybody wants to do that, feel free. Amen. You can give 90% of your income. Some very rich Christians actually do that. I'm not one of those rich Christians, unfortunately. Anyway, no matter what you give, you are really only giving God what he's given you in the first place. Does anybody here have anything that they haven't received from God? You know when you opened your eyes this morning and you took that first breath of consciousness? Where do you think that came from? When you put your feet out of the bed this morning and walked down the stairs and had the ability to live and move and have your being, where do you think that came from? Did you magic that up? Did it come from nowhere? Is it you made all of these things happen? Did you bring about your own birth, your own living, your own breathing? You know, it's very clear 
that not a minute of our lives comes to us by our manufacturing it. Everything comes as a pure gift of God. And yet we feel sometimes as though our time is being impinged upon. It's great when we realize that even the time that we have is God's gift. It doesn't mean we shouldn't manage it well. Here's what... Here's what uh, David wrote, King David, as he had made all the preparations for the building of the temple in the Old Testament. It's recorded in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And as he's made all of this preparation, he prays this huge prayer of dedication. And as he's praying the prayer of dedication, in the middle of it is this verse. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we could give you anything? Everything we have has come from you. We give you only what you first gave us. Hallelujah. If that is our mindset, then giving gets very, very easy. I'm not giving what I've made myself. I'm giving of what God has given to me in the first place. Moses warns the children of Israel when they're about to enter the promised land. It's there in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, don't forget the Lord because the day will come when you will think to yourself, it is my muscles, my strength, my ability that have generated this wealth. And he said, don't forget it is the Lord who gives you the ability to earn the wealth that you have. Giving. When we give, we give only what he's already given to us. And I know how quiet the congregation becomes when you start talking about giving. Whether you're giving of your time, your energy, your property, your money. Whatever you're giving, you're giving only what God has given to you in the first place. I remember a few years ago, my son, one of my sons, came to me shortly before Christmas. He said, Dad, I need 50 euros. 50 euros? What do you need 50 euros for? He says, I want to buy you a Christmas present. Ah. So I gave him 50 euros. And then on Christmas morning, he came to me and he gave me a present that he bought me for about 35 euros. Where's the other 50? So he came and he gave me the present and it cost 50 euros. And I thought, you know what? That is so nice. But wouldn't I be some complete mubber to think that I was 50 euros up on that deal? Now, is it right that my son would buy me a Christmas present? But am I codded that he's buying it out of his own money? No, he's buying it from what I gave. Now, it's still a good thing. I still like the present. That's nice. I'm glad he, uh, he thought it. And he said to me, it's the thought that counts. Oh, yeah. It's the money that counts, buddy. I just want to know about the money. But he gave to me what I gave to him in the first place. It's a simple illustration, but it's true of your life and my life. When we give our time, say, Lord, I'm going to help clean in the church. You're going to use your energy, your power, your strength. Who gave you that? You say, Lord, I'm going to donate extra money to the church. Feel free to do that, by the way. I'm going to donate extra money to the church. We're a registered charity, just for the record. Anyway, we're going to give more money to the church. Well, do you know it's God who gave you the ability to earn that money in the first place? This morning, there is a challenge to some here to begin to give. I'm not ashamed to say it, but for some of you this morning, it is a challenge to your finances. Will you give? For many, many of you, I know you do already. God bless you. May God, and God will. He will certainly honor that. But this morning, it's a challenge to give. Maybe it's the time to give of your talent. Maybe it's time to give of your energy. Have you got talents and skills? Have you got abilities, real abilities? Who gave you those, I wonder? Anyway, 
that's not really where I wanted to go. Where I wanted to go was a little bit further because I'm going to pick up the story next. So this is what happens when Salem, when Melchizedek, the king of Salem, comes out and he, he blesses Abraham. Abraham says, yeah, absolutely fantastic. The next thing, the next verse says this. It says, and then the king of Sodom said to Abraham, take, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Just give me back the people from my city who were my people in the first place, but you can keep all the goods for yourself. Now, Abraham had earned the goods in this deal. He'd gone off into battle, risked life and limb, did all that he could to make sure that this happened, and he, he, he went into this battle, and in my opinion, he deserved what he was going to get out of it. He deserved the earnings of his battle. The Bible says the laborer deserves his wages. He deserves his wages. Why not? But Abraham said something unusual to him. And this is what he said. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, with a raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you. Not even a thread or the strap of a sandal. So you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. Do you know it's a real Middle Eastern exchange, isn't it? I mean, this would never happen in Ireland. You go, oh no, no, you're grand. It's fine, honestly. Oh, not really. I'm full. I'm really, I'm I've got loads. You're grand. No Irish person would ever say, I have sworn with I hand and oath. I will take nothing from you. You can just see this conversation going on in King of Salem. Come on, to our, the, the, the King of Sodom said, come on, you can have your stuff. He said, no, I will not take this. I will not accept it. Of course, you know, Abraham spoke like that. He says, I've sworn I will take nothing belonging to you. And moreover, he doesn't just say, I'm not taking anything. He adds almost insult to injury. He says, I'm not going to take a thread. One thread. I'm not going to take a thread from you. A thread? Hello? One thread? No. Not a thread. What about a tongue for the sandal? A lace? What about one lace? No. I'm taking nothing from you because you will not be able to say that you made Abraham rich. Because only God makes Abraham rich. Hallelujah. I will take nothing from you. And you know, sometimes in our lives... We're faced with a situation like this. Sometimes we get a reasonable offer, a good offer. Sometimes it's a fantastic offer. And you're, sometimes we kind of go, wow, maybe, maybe this is God's opportunity. Maybe this is, maybe this is the chance. I, I've been, um, I've been uh, working here in Grace for the past 15 years. I started in February 2004. And I think I might have told this story before. It doesn't matter. You're going to have to suffer it again. But... I gave my notice to my company, the company I used to work with, it was a glass company, I used to work in the glass company, and I gave my notice about a month before I was quitting, back in January 2004, and I went in and I said, lads, here's the gig, um, I'm actually not going to be working here anymore, I'm going to go and work for the church that I go to, uh, I've been elected there as a, an elder and a pastor, and I'm going to go actually work for them full time, and they said, are you off your chuck, are you mad, no bank will touch you, go near you, never get a loan again, I wasn't looking for loans, but you'll never get a loan again, you're crazy, it's never going to happen, so I said, lads, okay, thank you very much, but thank you for your, for your generosity to me over the years, but I'm now going to do this, and, and I knew the risk that we were taking, you know, that, that yeah, no bank was going to, you're working for a what, sorry, church, pardon, what, sorry, what, 
they didn't, wouldn't have even understood what it was that I was working for. Anyway, everything was going well, and I was going, well, praise God, the decision is made, the door is open, I can go and work with Grace, this is wonderful, there was only about 250 of us at the time, and it, it was a risk, because we didn't know, was the income going to keep going, but anyway, it didn't make a difference, it wasn't, it, to me it wasn't that much of a risk, because I was doing what my heart's desire was, and that was really good. Um, but about a week before I f- quit my job, uh, one of the directors called me into his office, and he said, he made me an offer, and it was like one of those situations of the mafia, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> so he's sitting on the other side of the table, he says, I'm going to make you an offer. He was, he was from Douglas, I don't know where he got the accent from, but he said, we don't want you to go. And I said, I know, but, but I need to do this, my wife and I were 100% into it. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do. And he made me an offer to effectively double my wages and give me a company car. (laughs) And I sat there and I thought to myself, why didn't you make me this offer three weeks ago when I gave you my notice? In that moment, just as I'm going out the door, and I don't know how thought out his offer was, but he said, I'm going to give you effectively double your wages and a company car to stay with the company. And I was really challenged. I was really... But then I knew that that was not what God wanted me to do at this time. Now, what he offered me, I've still not been paid by the record. just want to say that to if there's any directors of the church here. I still haven't been paid what he offered me. But you know what? It was in that moment that I got a challenge. And I felt at the time it was like the devil bit me on the ankle just as I was going out the door. Because I did look over my shoulder on days when the pay wasn't so great and, and you know, things were tight and bills were coming in. I, I, I began to wonder, did I make a stupid decision? Have I jeopardized my children's future? Have, you know, have I made it difficult, harder on my wife and so on and so forth? No, Elma, my wife, was 100% with me in the decision. And we said, no, we're doing this. But for a couple of years, this thing began to knock around in my mind. And it began to show up in unusual ways in my life, ways that doesn't matter to you. And I thought, the devil, he, the devil, he's a... But you know what? It was about two years later that I realized it wasn't the devil that made me that offer. It was God who showed me, you do not have to do this. You can choose another way if you want to. And there will be, in that, good things and bad things. Where's your heart, Michael? Where does your heart want to be? What do you really want to do? Do you want to serve me? with your heart even if it means less? Do you want to put your life into my work even if it means less for you and for your kids? And maybe you won't be able to give them the 50 euros at Christmas to buy you a Christmas present, I don't know. But I realized it was God who was actually challenging my heart. You see, here's the thing, guys. Not every open door is blessing. Not every financial opportunity is God's blessing. Not every thing that comes into your life and says, have me, I will do you good, is blessing. Sometimes we get offers that to honor God, we must say no to. And it's the same for you in your life, because I know there are people here this morning who are standing and are having to make decisions about things in their future, and they have maybe a financial opportunity, maybe to move to another country or to another career. I'm not saying that it's necessarily not what God wants, but I'm saying don't assume that that's what God wants for your life. 
Jesus speaking in the book of Revelation says, I was dead and I'm alive, I have the key of David. The doors I open, no man can shut, but the doors that I shut, no man can open. Not everything that happens in our lives is necessarily going to be a good thing. And for me, here was a door opening, and here for Abraham is a door opening. Abraham, this is a very good offer. He's offering you what you deserved. He's offering you what you earned. He's offering you what you sweat for, what you bled for, what you risked your life for. And Abraham says, no, because that's not what God has for me. Hallelujah. I want that spirit in me. Do you want that spirit in you? Here's one quote I came across by a guy called Gordon Dumfries. He said very simply, a faithful no will bless more than an unfaithful yes. A faithful no will bless more than an unfaithful yes. Wow, really? Yeah, sometimes no is the word that brings blessing into our lives. But I want to take it on just a little step further. And I want to just pick up the next verse after the verses that we've just read because I think in this way sometimes when we see the chapters and the verses in the Bible it can actually break up stories that are actually meant to flow through I mean in the original writings and you should know this anyway in the original writings of the scriptures there was no chapters and there was no verses everything just flowed so I'm going to pick up in in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1 the Lord appears to Abraham now Abraham has just come back from battle he's paid a tenth of his income to Melchizedek he has refused the blessing of the king of Sodom. And I wonder if Abraham is like you and like me. Because I think we are all a bit like this. I think Abraham was maybe beginning to wonder, was that the best decision he'd ever made? Was that, was that the best thing? Had he done the right thing? Because you see, we can see some of these people of faith in the Bible as being superheroes who rip open their shirt and inside he's got a big A for Abraham inside it. We think that they're super people, but they're not. They're human beings. Human beings are the people that God uses, fallen human beings. And if you know the story of Abraham, you know that he was a pretty normal guy. That he fell for this usual stuff that all of us fall for. That he was a normal human being except for that he honored God with his life. And it says this, it says, Sometime later the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Don't be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. He has just turned down a very good reward. He has just said no to a very just and fair reward. And the Lord says to him, Abraham, don't be afraid. And you know when, when the Bible says, when, when an angel appears, when the Lord appears, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid is normally said because someone is afraid. There was something making him afraid. Maybe it was the thought that all of these battles that he'd fought, he'd maybe gotten some enemies. And these enemies were planning to take vengeance on him or take revenge on him. Maybe that was what was going on. But for some reason, he was afraid. Maybe he was afraid thinking, oh no, I've just turned my back on this fantastic offer and I don't know what my future's going to hold. And the Lord says to him, don't be afraid, I'll protect you. I'm going to be with you and your reward will be great. And I'm reminded of a quote that I read many years ago. And here it is. In some translations of this, it says that the Lord says to Abraham, I will be your great reward. I personally will be your great reward, depending on how you read the ancient Hebrew and how you translate it into English. Here's what 
my favorite Christian writer said about that. He said, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. Really? Yes. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. Do you know why? Because God is enough. Hallelujah. God is enough. He's enough. Not only is he enough, he has enough. Psalm 24 verse 1 says very simply, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And then we get to the heart of what was going on with Abram. You see, Abram, though he was very rich, I don't think he valued the riches too terribly much because he said this. Abraham replied, O oh, sovereign Lord, what are good are all the blessings when I don't even have a son? You see, Abraham's heart was somewhere else. His, his heart and his mind were focused on something else. He had something else in his heart and his mind. He had in his mind the promise of God that he would be the father of nations and that he would have a son and that he would have children and as he would have children's children, children's children's children. That was where Abraham's focus was. Lord, what about your promise to me? Then the Lord said to him, you'll have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. He takes him out under the ancient Middle Eastern sky and says, look up at the stars and he can see the Milky Way and the nebulous cloud and he can see all the various constellations and the Lord says to him, that's how many descendants you will have and Abraham is still 15 years away from this promise even starting to be fulfilled. That's how many descendants you'll have, Abraham. And you can see this was what was in Abraham's heart. Abraham wasn't interested in the money. He wasn't really that interested in the blessing. He was interested in seeing the promise of God fulfilled in his life. And did he have doubts? Yes. Abraham had doubts. Don't get in your head the idea that Abraham was going to say, no, I completely believe that this is what's going to happen. I have no doubts whatsoever. No, Abraham was a human being, just like you and I are human beings. Yes, he had doubts. Did he say, well, why did he have doubts? Because he kept on saying, Lord, when are you going to fulfill your promise? When are you going to fulfill your promise? You gave me a promise. When are you going to fulfill your promise? Did he have doubts? Of course he had doubts. But there's a big difference in the type of doubt that we can experience and we can suffer. It's, uh, uh, David Guzik, a Bible commentator, said this, we must discern the difference between a doubt that denies God's promise and a doubt that desires God's promise. Lord, when are you going to fulfill that promise in my life? That's a doubt that desires God's promise. Is this really going to happen? Because it's really important to me that this happens. Is it really going to happen to me? And it would be 15 years before Abraham's son uh, Isaac would be born. 15 more years. He's already been waiting 20 or 30 years at this stage and still there's no sign of this promise being fulfilled and Abraham's going, Lord, what good is all your, your the cattle and the sheep and everything? Should when I die, somebody else is going to get them. I have no son. And I love the last verse. And this is a verse that you know backwards and inside out if you've ever read the New Testament. But it's an important verse. It says, Abraham believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him righteous because of his faith. And he counts you righteous because of your faith too. Would anybody say amen? amen. 
You see, it is our faith in Jesus Christ that makes us righteous. It says, it says in another translation, it says that Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous. Now, we think it's good enough to believe in God. Believe in God, that's enough. No, no, there's more to it than that. Because the Bible says that even the demons believe in God and it doesn't do them much good. Instead, they believe God. They believe what he has said and what he has said about their lives. He has believed God and what he has said. And it's because they believe God, they're counted righteous. They believe that they believe in the blood of Jesus Christ. They believe that the price is paid. And because of that, they are made righteous themselves. Faith, faith was the key thing. The faith was what got Abraham's eyes off the battles and the praises and the goods. And got it on his son and got it on God's promise. I'm going to ask the band, will they come up? We're going to sing the song, My Hope is You. Pray. Now, for some of you here this morning, there has been a challenge. To give. Now that could be giving of your time or of your energy or of your money. It could be giving of your resources, giving of a relationship, giving of your prayers. Prayer is important. It can be giving of so many different areas in your life. But this morning the challenge to you is will you give? Because from what Abraham received from the hand of God, he gave what God gave to him in the first place. That's one challenge that's here this morning. To other people, you're looking at your life situation and you've been made an offer. There's an opportunity, whether it's a relationship, whether it is a job, whether it is um, an economic opportunity, whether, I don't know what kind of opportunity it is, but an opportunity is open up to you, but you want God's best opportunity. Amen. I want to pray for you this morning as well. And finally, I want to pray that we would all have faith in God, the God who keeps his promises this morning. For some of us, our faith is weak because we look at our circumstances and we we'll say, Lord, are you really going to fulfill your promises in my life? Are you really going to do what you said you would do? And maybe this morning you're struggling with a doubt. You're saying, I'm not so sure that this is going to work out the way I planned. It's okay to doubt if your doubt is rooted in desire and not in denial. I'm going to sing this song to you, Lord, and lift my soul. And then you will.
resources. I recognize that this morning, Lord, and I want to validate that reality in my life. Lord, I'm here. I want to give to you from what you have given to me. If that's you this morning, with the eyes in the room closed, will you raise your hand?
going to decide 